Hello and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien and joining me today are Semantic Threat Researchers Bridget O'Gorman and Candid West. In this week's podcast, we're going to be taking a look at how the US Department of Defense is tightening up its security requirements for contractors, why Google has speeded up its Chrome patching schedule, how the coronavirus outbreak is being exploited by cyber criminals, how an expired cert has knocked uh, Microsoft Teams offline, and how some Azure bugs could have let hackers take over cloud servers. But first, there was an interesting piece of research that came to light this week about Google Maps. It was carried out not as you may expect by a security researcher, but by a German performance artist called Simon Weckert, who demonstrated a very simple way to manipulate the traffic data on Google Maps. So as most of you know, Google Maps is a feature which displays live traffic data. So if you plot a route to somewhere, it'll show you that any selections of the route where the traffic is a bit heavy are in orange, and anywhere where it's really heavy or even at a standstill, it'll appear in red. And it's a pretty handy feature and can sometimes help you find a quicker route to your destination and allow you to bypass any traffic startups that might be on the way. Now, how it works is essentially through crowdsourcing. Um, Google knows that a high proportion of people now have some kind of mobile device with Google Maps on it. And if users opt in to uh, sharing their location, then it can see how many devices are on a particular stretch of road and how fast they're moving, which provides a pretty accurate estimate of how fast the traffic is moving. Anyway, let's go back to Simon Veckert, who discovered a way to gain that traffic data. So he got himself 99 um, secondhand smartphones, all running Google Maps, and put them in a little handcart. And he then walked very slowly through the streets of Berlin, presumably on a Sunday morning, because from the video he shared, it looks pretty quiet. And lo and behold, if you looked at Google Maps, it appeared like there was utter gridlock on the streets where he was walking, while in reality, they were almost completely clear. And it's kind of an interesting piece of work and kind of funny, but it's one of those things that's probably impractical to repeat or to scale. So as it is, we're not sure if it amounts to much of a threat to the integrity of Google's traffic data, but it's a reminder that any kind of crowdsourced information is only as good as the data that goes into it, and we should be always on the lookout for attempts to manipulate it. That's so, such a good story. Yeah, yeah I know, and it's it's so simple as well. Yeah. You know, uh, it's because he's just got this little red hand. I think it's red hand card, <laughs> um, like something a child would have. You know, um, I don't know how you get ninety nine smartphones. No. charged and fired up a lot with, of with Google Maps and stuff like that, you know. I didn't so, actually realise that was how it worked with Google Maps for the traffic stuff. I didn't realise it was just tracking you your phones. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Yeah. Uh, now let's move on to our next uh, topic for discussion because in a fairly positive development on the cybersecurity landscape, the US Department of Defense has announced that contractors working with it will now have to meet a minimum cybersecurity standard um, so what's all this about, Bridget? Yeah, so the US Department of Defense it announced at the start of this week an initiative that is called the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, or CMMC. And basically, it published this 28-page document. And in the document, uh, the department it discusses basically the threats posed to all sectors of the economy and society 
by malicious cyber activity. And it states as well how the supply chain of the Department of Defence, what it refers to as the Defence Industrial Base, has been and continues to be um, a target of malicious cyber actors, which is you know definitely something we have seen over the years ourselves. Yeah. And I would say this release is actually quite timely, as just last week there was a story about one of the DOD's contractors um, an electronics company, which is called Electronic Warfare Associates, EWA. And it was reportedly hit with the Ryuk ransomware. Now, unusually enough, the company has not actually commented publicly on this incident yet, but it has been reported in the media. And as reported by ZDNet, encrypted files and ransom notes linked to the company were visible and cached Google search results, even about a week after the incident, after the company took the affected servers offline and as well as this signs of the ransomware attack were also visible on several of EWA's public facing websites and as well as the Department of Defence EWA also lists the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice among its customers as well um, and it's interesting too that the company's been hit by Ryuk now we don't know obviously too many details of the attack because we haven't got any kind of public commentary from EWA so we're not sure if they've paid a ransom or what the ransom demand was or if they've backups or any of that kind of stuff but it is interesting that it's Ryuk. Ryuk is obviously it's definitely one of the more sophisticated and one of the more active strains um, of targeted ransomware that we've seen in use over the last year or so and as well as that it was also actually only reported in the last couple of weeks that Ryuk had been seen updating um, updating itself to, in some cases, target files that may contain military or government-related data. So perhaps this could indicate that those sectors might see themselves, you know, under threat from um, Ryuk more often in the future. But I guess, you know, we'll just have to see if that actually plays out or if this is just kind of a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, a targeted ransomware is something that we've been looking an awful lot at here and it's something that myself and our colleague John DiMaggio are going to be speaking about at the upcoming RSA conference at the end of the month um, but the tactics that these guys are using have evolved pretty rapidly and I think it's something you see here they're quite interested in the kinds of data they're targeting because we've seen examples as well of like they're trying to take sensitive data off the network before encrypted and try to and threaten to publish it as well uh, online in case people don't uh, pay the ransom um, so they're they're really you know kind of upping their game from an attacker's perspective and trying to maximize the pressure they put on the victim to uh, encrypt the data so to 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 pay the ransom so this kind of might be um, kind of another sign in that trend of, of their, how they're paying more attention to what data they target rather than just encrypt everything you know but very interesting and um i think this announcement from the dod probably it's come at a timely moment really has it yeah because as you say dick you know these actors are kind of progressing and you know changing their tactics and developing their tactics all the time so it certainly is a good time or a timely time i suppose for this to happen and i guess it's always good to see this kind of thing you know see that big organizations you know and like especially government organizations are taking you know cybersecurity seriously like this and this CMMC framework, it's basically described as a unified cybersecurity standard for future DoD acquisitions. And some of the requirements contained in it, they'll actually start appearing in contracts by the end of this year is the plan, with all new um, Department of Defense contracts then coming under the requirements by 2026. So basically with this new standard, the DoD is aiming to ensure that 
um, the unclassified information that it kind of you know shares I suppose with third party suppliers so what's known as federal contract information and controlled unclassified information that this is kept safe by basically improving the cybersecurity standards of its supply chain and I mean this is a good approach for sure because as we've seen with you know many different kind of instances over the last few years an organization's supply chain you know it can often be a point of weakness that then may allow them to be compromised by malicious actors who may get in through their supply chain. And the CMMC basically contains five levels of certification that indicate basically the cyber readiness of uh, the DOD contractors. So level one basically indicates, you know, a fairly basic level of cyber hygiene. So it would allow the contractor to be trusted with federal contract information, which would be slightly less sensitive information. While say that a level five will indicate a company or contractor that has a very high level of sort of cybersecurity sophistication, I suppose, and is capable of keeping information safeguarded from even, you know, very sophisticated kind of targeted attack groups and the like. So this is only version 1.0 of this framework. So I would imagine um, it's something we're likely to see further development of, you know, in the future and over the next few years, it's kind of more implemented because, of course, as we see, cyber attackers are always developing. So these kind of frameworks also need to develop along with them, I would say. Okay. Now, we were talking about Google Maps at the start of the podcast, and uh, the next topic is Google Chrome, because uh, Google's cut its, um, the Chrome development team, they've increased the speed of how quickly they patch third-party libraries. Um, Candid, could you explain exactly what's been done here? Yeah, so modern software packages often include a handful of uh, third-party libraries, I mean, in the end, it's just that they don't have to replicate all the codes and keep it updated. So these models are often kind of open source projects, which are just linked into the main kind of uh, overall project. And that's the same for the Chrome web browser, which contains a few other libraries, such as the PDF viewer called PDFium and the uh, V8 JavaScript engine. And whenever there is a vulnerability found in one of those third-party libraries and then later patched, the patch needs to be integrated into the other software packages as well. That's kind of the other direction of software supply chain attacks the Bridget just talked about. Kind Normally, people are more afraid that someone would actually add a backdoor into one of those third-party libraries, which would then automatically be built in all the depending software packages. And of course, we have seen those cases in the past. But here it's the patch for a disclosed security vulnerability that needs to be automatically integrated into the main software. So here it's actually something good if it gets automatically upgraded. As from the moment the vulnerability is disclosed by the third-party library, um, any attacker can of course check if the upstream product have integrated the patch as well. And if not, they might be able to exploit the same flaw in the other software package. And to prove exactly this point, researchers from Exodus Intelligence have taken two vulnerabilities in the V8 JavaScript engine from last year and then created exploits against the Chrome browser. And as the browser did, at least at the time, not include the latest patched version of the V8 engine, it was, of course, still vulnerable to that attack. Okay, so you're saying there's kind of a window between the vulnerability being disclosed by the third-party developer and it being patched in Chrome, am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we have seen that in the past with Android, right, where sometimes it takes a long time till the, the new version with all the updates gets down to all the different manufacturers which might have a slightly adapted version of Android. And, of course, it's not just Android, as I said. It's with all modern software packages 
And Google Chrome now addressed this, or at least they took the issue seriously, um, which was raised by the researchers, and they have now started to release updates every two weeks. So it's no longer a monthly cycle, but actually twice a month. And they increased the frequency of how patches can be integrated into the main Chrome browser version, which, of course, brings down the window of exposure that you just mentioned from an average of 33 days to just 15 days. But I guess it should be clear if they want to reduce the time even further, as in less than two weeks, they will have to release new updates every week. Uh, we don't know if that's going to happen, but um, let's uh, keep an eye open for that. The good thing is that these updates are actually automatically installed in the background. So you as a user, you do not uh, need to manually trigger any of those updates every week. Yeah, Google is one of those, I suppose it's one of the least um, obtrusive update uh, processes. You know, you, you're, you'd hardly know the browser's been upgraded at all. Um, now... Uh, let's turn to the, it's probably one of the biggest uh, global news items at the moment, which is the coronavirus outbreak. And uh, as with anything that kind of gets into the news, uh, cyber criminals find some way to exploit it. Um, and not surprisingly, uh, it's now being used uh, as a, by phishing attackers, really, isn't it? Yes, basically as a lure, I suppose, yeah. how we would put it. Yes, I'm sure obviously all our listeners are aware of the coronavirus outbreak, the illness, the SARS-like illness that originated in China, but now has spread to multiple countries and led to several hundred deaths as well. So obviously it's one of the biggest news stories in the world right now. And as you say, Dick, unsurprisingly, it's being exploited in phishing campaigns. So last week we saw the Emotech gang and they were spotted basically sending a spam campaign um, in Japan that claimed to be a warning about reports of the coronavirus in various prefectures um, in the country, in Japan. And the emails were actually disguised so that they would appear like official warnings from public health centres. And they tried to get victims basically to click on the malicious attachment that the email had by claiming that it contained more details on preventative measures that people could take to guard against the illness. But in fact, if victims opened the malicious attachment, the Emotet malware would be downloaded onto their device and then there's a strong likelihood that that would then probably lead to the victim subsequently becoming infected with the TrickBot InfoStealer and potentially even the Riot ransomware if they were deemed to be of interest to the attackers, as we've just seen those three um, malwares kind of working together fairly consistently in recent times. And then we have seen a few other phishing campaigns as well, exposing interest in the coronavirus in the last week or so. Um, some of them have been seen targeting the US and some targeting the UK. Um, one of them uh, attempts to impersonate the Center for Disease Control in the US and it included a link in the email that was camouflaged to look like a link to the official CDC website. But it actually brought you to an attacker-controlled landing page that then attempts to steal um, victims' email login credentials, basically. So I suppose, I mean, these campaigns are nothing new as such. We all always see cyber criminals trying to take advantage of items that are in the news. But I suppose, you know, there are timely reminders to people to always be vigilant and only ever open emails or download attachments that come from, you know, sources that you know and that you trust. And I mean, I suppose you don't talk about email as much as I suppose, you know, people used to uh, years ago. But I mean, it's definitely still a major, you know, point, danger point and one of the biggest infection vectors we see. So it's just something for people to be aware of. 
Yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, as you say, we, we haven't talked about it in a while, but the fact that these scams keep on coming and coming means that they're obviously still working from the attacker's perspective. So uh, keep an eye out. Now, on to um, something that uh, happened this week, Microsoft's communications and collaborations platform, Teams. It had a bit of a short outage. And uh, Candid, you were looking into what happened here. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Microsoft had a kind of a bad start into February. So the Microsoft Teams app, which is the communication and collaboration hub for the Office 365, was not reachable for at least some users uh, last Monday. And one hour after Microsoft's Twitter feed actually had reported the problem, they announced that the issue was, lo and behold, due to an, un- um, to an authentication certificate that has expired. So they found one of those issues and then another one hour later, the fix was rolled out and the service um, to all those different uh, collaboration hubs was restored. So luckily, the issue had no effect on any of the other Office 365 apps like email or calendar services. But it kind of highlights that it is very important that you ensure that you have a process for any certificate or encryption keys that you deploy inside your environment. Either have scripts that will automatically renew them if possible, or have at least some alerting system in place that will notify you before the expiration date so that you have at least some time to prepare and react on time. Yeah, and I guess it also highlights the risk that uh, if you depend on cloud services. Um, and there was another issue this week with Microsoft because uh, they revealed um, that attackers could have compromised the Azure cloud environment. Am I right about this? Yeah, so uh, some researchers from Checkpoint have detailed two vulnerabilities that they co- discovered um, over the last few months. And um, those two vulnerabilities are in Microsoft Azure cloud infrastructure that could actually have allowed attackers to compromise cloud servers remotely. Well, I guess most of those cloud servers you would attack remotely as that's kind of the point of the cloud. So one of the features of the Azure cloud um, are so-called Azure app services. And they basically allow you to build your own apps or APIs and have it hosted in the cloud without the need to worry about any of the uh, infrastructure management. And it also has auto scaling features and it can use automatic deployment from GitHub and other resources. So the first vulnerability they found is related to the inter-process communication, uh, which is used um, in that case to kind of communicate with the sandboxes or containers, and they're using named pipes, which is quite common. And the custom app in the sandbox container can actually find this uh, named pipe, which is used for the communication, and then directly send some specifically prepared message, which will result in a buffer overflow. So an attacker could exploit the flaw to let any unprivileged function actually execute code in the context of anti-authority system, so the highest privilege, and escape the sandbox or container, whatever you want to call it. And this could, of course, lead and reveal uh, to data loss from other tenants, so giving an application inside the sandbox access to the whole host system, or even provide access to some other part of the cloud where the attacker should not have access to. The second vulnerability which was uh, found is a server-side request forgery attack in the on-premise Azure environment, which is called Azure Stack. So by crafting a special request and send it to the web APIs, an attacker can access internal Azure Stack resources that should not be exposed directly. 
And as an example, the researchers used one of these APIs to request a screenshot from one of the tenants without any authentication needed. And of course, it worked. So if you're interested in all the details, uh, which are probably a bit too technical for highlighting it uh, just in a podcast, the researchers published two detailed blogs explaining all their findings. But of course, probably more important, Microsoft has patched all those vulnerabilities in the meanwhile, so no need to worry about those for the moment. Okay, thank you, Candice. Uh, that's about all we have time for this week. But if you've been enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe to avoid missing out on all of the action in future. You can also follow us on Twitter at Threat Intel or Medium at medium.com forward slash threat hyphen intel. If you'd like to read our latest research, check out our blog, which can be found at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. We'll be back again next week when we'll be doing a special episode taking an in-depth look at cybersecurity in the healthcare sector. Until then, though, thank you and goodbye.